Well, good morning, friends. <clears throat> you guys are about the same as the first service. It's kind of mellow. It's kind of like that Northwest. I just got my coffee, and I don't want to be disturbed, but I'll listen. Um, so good to see you guys. Um, I was driving my daughter to soccer <clears throat> training slash gaming. She had her first game. You could call it that. And uh, she, she, this is her first year playing, like, soccer, soccer. And I was driving into the parking lot, and we saw my friend and her friend, their family friends, and we were like, let's prank them. So we drove by them, and we rolled down the window, and I was going to say, hey, kid, you ready for today? Because it's game day. And I, all I got out was, hey, kid. And my friend's kid turned, and it was not my friend's kid. <laughs> and my friend turned around, and it was not my friend's it was not him. And, um, and the guy was like, hey. And I was like, hey, are you guys doing soccer? And they're like, yeah. I was like, have a great day. Thanks. They were like super pumped. But I was like, oh, man, that was not good. Um, and uh, then we went to the soccer game. And it's kind of like, I call it rat ball. Like they're like swarming around the ball. There's not the passing yet. They're learning some of the passing. The one kid who's passing is the, is the coach's kid. You know, and he, he wants to just shoot it, but he'll look back at his dad and then he'll pass it because he's supposed to be a good example for the other kids. But the rest of the kids, you know, including mine, is, is swarming around the ball. And my dad came and, and was watching. And, you know, I'm telling like, Novella, watch the ball because all the kids are looking at other things except the ball. And, uh, you know, like Bedlands, we have this deep-seated competition competition in us we you know we want to win and and uh my dad came about mid mid game and um he sat down and he i mean he's he was a dad back in the 90s when it was like totally socially acceptable to yell at refs and you know it it, it, treat it like it's a professional game going on and he's like come on nova and she's just like staring off and uh she cleared it a few times did a good job my dad started sneezing really bad in the middle. It's just like, shink. he makes this noise. It's like, shank, when he sneezes really loud and slightly embarrassing. My friend, who was actually my friend that I was supposed to yell at earlier, was sitting next to me, and he's like, dude, what's, what's up with your dad? Is he sick? And I'm like, no, he's just allergic to losing. Um, that's, the, that's the Bedlam way. But later that day, my dad was like, man, watching novella, he's like, brought me back to when you were a kid, and and I was like, when you used to yell? And he's like, yeah. And he's like, but we're starting all over with her. We're building her up from the ground up. And I was like, yes. I mean, a new, new generation of Bedlians. And here at Whitewater, we want to see people become. We want to see them grow. We want to see them develop. Um, the, the like kind of Christian term for it is discipleship. And, um, and we've, been, we've been talking about a vision of our church uh, being like a reservoir that releases a river. And I used to kind of think that like, no, our church, we want it, we're, we're named Whitewater because Whitewater means there's moving water, there's like power and there's, it's clean, it's pure and it's going somewhere and, it, it's, and it's, it's bringing life to the, to the desert and to dry land. And, and, you know, I was like, we're a river, not a reservoir that gets, you know, all nasty. And, um, and then as I was studying more about like the idea of blessing um, in our series called We Bless, as I was studying the scripture, I was like, no, no, like kind of have it wrong or half wrong like we have to be a reservoir and a river like a river isn't isn't life-giving unless it has a life-giving reservoir and a a powerful reservoir 
only is powerful and life-giving if it has a powerful life-giving river or else it just gets stagnant. My fear is, um, is, is that people could begin walking with Christ or go to church and, and, and do religious things but never let God like overflow through their life and the lives of others and just become stagnant. And so we want people to grow and, and at Whitewater we start from the ground up and grow people who, who might not even know Christ yet or just found Jesus, just made a decision. You might be in that boat uh, and you've just started following Christ or you're re-engaging with Christ, you're re-engaging with your faith and we want you to grow. And we've developed a, a, a class over the years that, that guys, th- this gives people the tools, the essentials of growth, the essential steps uh, of a journey with God. And, and, and we have this class, it's five weeks and we're going to be offering it starting next week. And um, I, I want to encourage you to go. I'd love to see, I'd love to see a hundred people there. I really would. I'd love to see our church growing together, filling the reservoir. Because I believe if our church really does let God fill their hearts, fill the reservoir, then he'll release the river. I, I have a video I want you guys to watch about the journey track. I thought to myself, well, a journey class is for somebody who's going to be new to the church. It's not going to be for someone like me who's been here a couple of years already. Once we went to journey class, then I obviously saw there's people in it that have been going to Whitewater for longer than we had, and people that have been going there for a couple of weeks. It was this common ground. Everyone could come together and be vulnerable and learn together, which I liked. Yeah, and I found it really surprising how much I thought I, I knew about Whitewater, and then going to the journey track, I was like, wow, that's why George says this every week. It just kind of gives you the background as to why we do things the way we do things, and I think that was really helpful to kind of understand the the vision, I guess, of Whitewater. I was able to really identify and, and, and be vulnerable in, in where I'm at specifically because I think I think sometimes people can look at a couple and think, okay, they're, they're probably in the same place on their journey, but mm-hmm. the reality is, is, you know, we're all in, in different places along that road, and the journey track was really allowed us to begin to discover where we were at and kind of be more vulnerable about it and even after us leaving the class that sparked some discussion. I think for me a lot of it was I knew where I was and I knew where I wanted to be I just didn't know how to do that. I felt like I had just been in the same place for a long time. To have that opportunity to recognize where you are and not where your parents say you are or think you should be or your church tells you to be it's really where are you and where do you want to be and what is it going to take for you to get to that um that it's okay to not be where everyone else is or where someone else expects me to be there's no expectation when you come in and you can go into the class knowing that you can be open and and real with with where you're at in your journey and be honest about that and not feel like there's any sort of judgment being put upon you and and just realizing that you're going to be in the company of other people that probably have the same thoughts and the same doubts and you're going to walk out of it you know with new friendships that you're going to make in the class and also hopefully getting some answers to some really you know deep questions that maybe you have that maybe this is the situation you've been looking for to ask those questions. Journey tracks are it's our path to health. It's the path to um, to growth. 
And it really is the path toward leadership and, and membership here at Whitewater. And even if you're just exploring faith, it's the perfect place to come and ask questions. If you have a friend, you're wanting to disciple somebody, help them grow in their faith. I mean, we, it's, it's, a, it's a time to talk and to share stories and to, and to learn together. It really is interactive. And so, man, if you want to disciple somebody or you want to be discipled yourself, which is really learning how to follow Jesus... Um, come on out. Um, mark on your connection card if you're interested in coming to the Journey Track. We'll get ready for you. Um, there, it's a five-week uh, course, and we're going to do f- uh, two courses. One's going to be on Sunday, so five Sundays in a row, starting next Sunday. And then uh, October 17th, Wednesdays, we're going to have a Wednesday track that you can go to, or you can mix and match if you need to. Uh, and you should have got this handout as you came in the door. Um, so with that said, shall we pray and jump in? Father, we love you so much. We're so grateful for you, Lord. I pray that we would be able to receive from you today uh, maybe things that we've never been able to receive before. Maybe a reminder and be filled again anew with vision, uh, with vitalization, um, with courage, and with hope. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis 12, 2, it says this, I will bless you, says God, and you will be a blessing. We are blessed to become a blessing. We are reservoirs to become unleashed rivers. Proverbs 20, verse 5 says this, the purpose in a man or woman's heart is like deep water. Our hearts are like reservoirs. And what we want to do is we want to focus on the reservoir uh, today, and then we're going to start talking about the river. And over the next three months, we're going to be talking about personal blessing, becoming local blessing, becoming global blessing. And I couldn't be more excited, but we have to start with the reservoir. The reservoir has to be deep. It has to be clear. We don't want to have poisonous reservoirs of the heart. We don't want to have receding reservoirs. And if the heart is a reservoir, it's either uh, receding or it's receiving. It's either growing in depth or it's receding and declining in depth and health. And um, what I want to talk to you guys about today are three things. The three things are this. We want to talk about our first calling and our second calling in life. And we're going to talk about uh, three temptations, three truths, and then I want to land on uh, a concept of how do we hang pictures on the walls of our life. Sound good? Let's jump into our first calling. So it says this in, in uh, Luke chapter 3. You can turn there if you have your Bible or an app, or you can just follow up on the screen behind me, and you can pull out your notes if you want. When all the people were baptized, it says Jesus was also baptized. This is before any ministry had started for him. As he was praying, heaven opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus in physical appearance like a dove. That's why you always see like those cheesy dove things on like Christian, you know, or old Christians uh, uh, trucks, bumpers, you know, bumper stickers and that stuff are on guitars. Um, it's the symbol of the Holy Spirit, not just a dove. And it says this, a voice came from heaven. Could you imagine hearing God's voice? Like in other um, gospels, if you read it, it says like his voice was the sound of many waters, like a waterfall, just roaring. And, and this is what God said It's about Jesus said, you are my beloved son. With you, I'm well pleased. And Jesus' first calling by the voice of God was about his identity as God's son. The first calling of God is, is always about 
who we are before what we do. And we live in a world that strives to do and strives to, to become all these things without ever receiving the first call, um, without ever dwelling on that and letting God pour the first calling in, which is to be a beloved son or daughter of God. We were created like Jesus. We were created to become a beloved son or daughter. Now, Jesus existed before and in and outside of time, but I, when he was sent to earth, it, was, it became really clear. God said, this is my son, whom I'm well pleased. Before, think about this. Before Jesus had done any major ministry, God says, you're my son, I love you. Before he had uh, cast out demons, before he had uh, healed lepers, before he had fed thousands of people and done miracle upon miracle, before his ministry launched in full, before the spirit came onto his life in a, in a new way, before any of that happened, God marked him out uh, with, with, a, with a word, and his word was, you are my beloved. I have great joy in you, I'm, I have I'm pleased in you. When I look at you, it gives me deep joy, deep peace. And, and God would look at you and me that way. And sometimes if you've grown up with a father who might have a harsh voice, a voice of critique, a voice of distance, a, a voice of not good enough, never good enough, um, God's voice can be firm, but God's voice is the voice of love. And we were designed to be the beloved. Let me ask you this. What do you have to do to be in your family? In my family, for Novella to prove her love and prove that she's my daughter, she has to make me toast when I ask for toast. Toast! She's supposed to put it in there and bring it out. And the Huskies are on, change the channel. For, she's watching something, you know, like she's been watching a lot of Mr. Rogers, which is cool, I'll watch it with her. But I'll be like, change the channel. That's how she earns the right to be in our, no, of course, that's not how, that's not how it works. But Sarah and I, like we, we're the kind of the, the foundation of our family and and. and Novella and Wes, our two kids, one-year-old Wes, five-year-old Novella, are part of the family because they're part of the family. We love them. They, they can't do anything to earn it. They don't have to prove it. They're in the family because we love them. They're our beloved kids. Like, it's just a gift. They, they just have to choose to receive it or not. They don't have to do anything. And some of you have maybe grown up in environments where you have to prove and you have to do things. You have to earn. And in fact, I, I called a friend who's a social worker and works with foster care. And I, and I asked him, what, what, is, what do kids have to, what's the process of, of a kid who's been in foster care or fatherless, motherless, familyless? What's the process for them to go from no family to being in a family, to, to, to not having a mom or dad, to like all of a sudden having a mom or dad? And they're like, what do you mean, legally? I was like, well, no, I mean like from the heart standpoint, like what does that process look like? And like, well, from the heart, it's, she, she said it's a long process. It's a long process. And there's many times kids have gone, been in and out of homes and they've been in and out of state uh, welfare types of things. And, 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 and many times they've become runners. And the longer they've become a runner, the, the longer they run and the quicker they, they are to run. And, and she said it's really hard for them to receive it. Many of them are going through a, like what she calls a grieving process where they're grieving their old family or grieving and feeling like they're not enough, they're not worthy. And, and in the back of their mind of like, what do I really have to do to be a son or daughter? How do I prove my worth? How do I prove that I'm lovable? And then in the back of their mind too when their parents are saying, you don't have to do anything. I just love you. You are a new part of our family. Like we are a family now. In their minds, they're thinking, well, prove it. 
prove that you're really, will you love me if I do this? And sometimes they'll do crazy things and there'll be moments where like everything seems great and like the, the family settling in and the, the, the process of becoming one family is, is like, uh, this is great. And then out of nowhere, they'll do something crazy or just that doesn't make sense to the, to the new parents because they're really asking like, will you love me if I do this? Or they're, man, I, I can take care of of myself. I've always had to take care of myself. I'm always going to have to take care of myself. And so she said the process of becoming a son or daughter can be, uh, it, well, it's as long as they choose to be. They, it's as long and as difficult as they would choose. And so with Jesus, our first calling is to be loved. The second calling in following Jesus is to serve God and to serve people. Does that make sense? The first call is to receive God's love. The second call is to love others and serve others and let God use your gifts. And today, I want to talk about the first calling. Next week, we're going to be talking about how God uses your shape and your gifts and has designed you for certain situations in your life, like things that haven't even happened yet, and God is going to use you in incredible ways you open your heart and life to him in fact God has probably already done that sometimes without you even knowing it it's when you look back and you're like oh wow God you did that can I get a witness is there any, is there any truth to that in people's lives all right there's a few of us here now there's a verse I think is really really important to understanding the first call the first love it's this first John four nineteen. I don't think this is on the on the screen but it says this we love because he first loved us we love because God first loved us, like, like the instinct to love, the desire to love, that was put in us by God before we knew anything. It's just like how we're wired, and it can get hurt, it can get damaged, but we are wired to love, and, the, and our love is not first. God's love is first. We have to learn to receive that before we can go and serve other people, and I'm afraid that there's a lot of people that, that are going out and serving and loving, and they're doing all these things, and they're trying to do before they just Learn to be and sit with God and know God and love him. And it's almost like we want to earn and prove. It's like, almost like we've learned to be runners, even if you know, you've never been in the foster care system. Even if you've had a great family, there's something in us that's learned to run, and God's trying to teach us to come back and to receive his love. John 1, 12-13 says this, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. It never gets more important than that. We always have to come back and let the reservoir be filled before we become a river. We have to receive God's love. So when we do, here's a truth I found. When you receive God's love, when you step into life as a beloved son or daughter of God, you will face resistance. You will face temptation. Often we get brought from a place of joy and peace and life like, God, you love me, and we get led through a desert of temptation. In fact, let me, let me read this to you. After, this is after Jesus was bap, you know, baptized. God's like, you're my beloved son. You're amazing, Jesus. I'm so excited. Before Jesus' ministry has really taken off, he's, he's done carpentry and all that stuff until he's 30, and then his new ministry gets launched. And, and before he goes and does anything amazing, anything spectacular for the Lord, it says, then Jesus left the Jordan full of the Holy Spirit. Everything's great. And then was led by the Spirit. The Spirit of God's good. And you know that nice dove? He's led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted by the devil. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for leading me into the desert. Is there anybody who's gone through a mountaintop experience 
something wonderful, and then right after you get led to the depth, like you get led right to the desert. It's dry, it's dark, and there's a demon. Maybe a few. Any of you guys like that? Like you had an amazing thing and then you come home and the house is crazy and people are angry and you've done everything wrong. You're like, but I, I just want to go back to the mountaintop. But they just pull you back in the craziness. You ever had, you know, an amazing conversation or amazing uh, relational moment and then you walk into like the toughest relational moment of your life? just hits you and you're not ready for it jesus gets led through a time of temptation he's tempted by the devil now it says this i love this he ate nothing during those days and when they were over he was hungry it's like the greatest understatement of the bible and after the 40 days of not eating jesus was hungry and he was tempted by a devil i remember when we went out to christmas uh, fairly, I think it was in the last two years, and we had our whole family. All of us were like trying to eat healthy, except the one. And the one brought like Cheetos and Cheez Its and chocolates and all this stuff, and was just eating them. And I was like, "You're the devil." <laughs> and then we started sharing, and we became friends. So I don't know what the metaphor is there, but I probably failed that test. But it goes on to say this, uh, or I think this is really important to know, is that whenever we have a, a time where we're receiving, with, receiving from God, and we decide to be fully surrendered, there's, there's nothing that scares the darkness than a, than a fully surrendered life. There's nothing more scary and, and put more fear into the devil than to see somebody fully submit their life to Jesus. And whenever you do that, or you make a major decision, I'm going to step out in faith, often there's a testing that comes whenever you receive God's blessing there's often a testing and here we go and the first test in this in this process is the test of provision the test of provision the devil said to him if you are the son of God tell this this stone to become bread but Jesus answered him it is written man must not live on bread alone and the devil says if you are the son of God the devil immediately goes after his identity Jesus his identity is in Christ is in his father I'm Jesus I'm the son of God God has joy in me no matter what I haven't even started my ministry and God has deep joy in my life and I'm his son that's who I am and and Satan immediately attacks that if you are if you really are the son of God prove it prove it and we live in a world that's it's designed love is earned so you always have to prove it that you're worthy if that's how our work is set up that's how our economies are set up everything is prove it prove it and the economy of God is set up in the opposite way he gives you his love you can't earn it you can't deserve it he just gives it and Satan says if you really are the son of God if that really is your identity Tell this stone to become bread. Provide for yourself. The temptation is provision. Will will Jesus provide for himself while he's hungry, while he doesn't have enough, and and believe that everything's scarce and he needs to take like his own destiny into his own hands and provide for himself? Um, And we live in this world of runners, everyone who's running to provide for themselves and everything's scarce and I, I need to get while the getting's good and I need to work harder and achieve more and I need to provide for myself and I need to provide for these mouths and my family. And so everything gets reduced to this temptation that is all about providing for yourself. And and. Jesus' response is so amazing. He says, it's written, man must not live on bread alone. And in Matthew, uh, in the temptation, it it says Jesus uh, even fills that out more and says, man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from where? The mouth of God. 
And this is the first truth that you have to remember if you're going to get past the temptation of provision. Listen to God's voice of love. Listen to his voice. That his voice is bread. His voice is the provision for your life. You need his voice more than you need his bread. You need his voice more than you need to provide for yourself. In fact, God's voice, it provides the path. It provides the way so that you can live in an abundance. And I'm not saying God's going to like rain down Mercedes on you. I'm saying that you can like, well, that would be very dangerous. But God is, God is a good God who wants to bless and provide. He is the provider. Everything we have is from him. Why would we live in this like crazy mentality of fear and lack of faith and scarcity? Listen to God's voice of love. In, in John 10, it says, the sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will never follow a stranger. Instead, they will run away from the stranger because they don't know the voice of strangers. I mean, Satan comes in and his voice is starting to, to give these lies and half-truths. If you're really the son of God, you, you can provide bread. Well, Jesus can. But is he supposed to provide for himself or is he supposed to trust in the Lord? And, and Jesus hones in on the word of God and listens to God's voice. My question to you is, do you know the tone and the quality of God's voice. When I hear my kids crying, I can tell if it's just like a whiny cry. How many of you guys can tell that? How many of you guys got friends? You don't have to have kids. You can tell that they've got a whiny tone. And it's like they don't, they're just whining. They don't really need, it's not, you know, there's nothing dangerous. They, the world is, and they're not chicken little. The world's not going to fall in on them. It's fine. How many of you guys know like the 50-50 where it might be dangerous and they might be fine? You're like, you know, I'll, prob- I'll go check on them. And sometimes you're like, eh, it might be fine. I won't check on them. How many of you guys know like this is terrible, something, something horrendous has happened? You can tell. You can tell the quality of people's voice. I can tell my wife's voice in a, in a crowd. I can tell my daughter. I can tell my son's voice. Can you pick out the voice of God in the midst of the crazy world we live in? We live in a world filled with noise. People got earbuds listening to noise. You take your earbuds out and there's noise. I live in my house and there's crazy noise. I can't walk through my house without making some noise. Like I've got my son's toys everywhere. And they, like if I nudge them, they come alive and these crazy songs come in. And it's often at night too. Like all of a sudden there's crazy noise. Like ding, 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 ding. ding. And I'm like, ugh. And then you step on the dog. Arr! And then you're, you're trying to walk. It'll be fine at starting point. You can come. It'll be clear. I, my house will be fine. But like with... The, the life we live, it's just noise, it's noise. And I, was, I, I shouldn't even digress, but like we, I walk outside and we, there's birds making noises. And we've got squirrels in my backyard that make noises. And we've got a walnut tree. These squirrels are driving me nuts. Like literally, they have, like these, they have all these walnuts and they're hiding them everywhere. Like in my car, on my car, in my barbecue. I open my barbecue up and there's all these nuts that have been stored. I'm like, what is going on? And there's like this little squirrel like making these noises. Maybe I'm going a little crazy, I don't know. Um, but we need to learn to listen to God's voice above the noise. Can we tune into him and tune out the static? Like a radio station where you, you're getting all the static and you tune in to the station. You tune in to him. It's so important. And that helps us pass the test of provision. The next test is the test of power. And it says this. So Satan, he took Jesus up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you their splendor and all this authority because it's been given over to me. 
And I can give it to anyone I want. I can just give it to you. If you then will worship me, all will be yours. He offers him this shortcut to authority and power, fame, popularity. I know that's not very relevant for today. Shortcuts to power. Cutting around the edges. Jesus is offered an opportunity to have everything that is God is giving to him, but he has to choose the way of the cross. And Satan's saying, you won't have to go to the cross. You won't have to uh, be betrayed by the ones you love and that you pour into. You pour your whole... You won't have to go through that betrayal. You won't have to deal with all these whiny people. You won't have to deal with all the sick people. You won't have to deal with, with the Pharisees. You won't have to deal with all these people hating you, angry with you. And you won't have to deal with any of that. You can just take the shortcut. I'll give you, all you have to do is worship and serve me. And I just, when I think of that shortcut to power and authority, the thing that it's, it's really cutting out is a relationship with God. You can have all this without a relationship with God. Isn't that interesting? That's the temptation. And we live in a microwave world, don't we? We want it now, we want it fast. We, I don't want to deal with relationships. I don't want to deal with your issues. I don't want to deal with the squirrels. I don't want to deal with whatever it might be. And Jesus answered him, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. See, if you're Jewish in this period of time and you read this or you hear about this, this story, you realize the temptations that Jesus is going through, the temptation in the wilderness to make bread, the temptation to worship other gods, is the same temptations that Israel, God's community, God's people went through in the desert. Do you guys see that? And if you're not familiar with the scriptures, that's what Jewish people would think. That's what we're supposed to realize. Like, wow, and Israel failed all these temptations. They failed in the desert. They failed when it came to worshiping God. And, and they failed in so many ways when it came to worshiping him. They, 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 they would form like images like made of gold, like a golden calf and worship it. And it was like a shortcut to get them what they wanted. And they would worship other gods because we want rain and we want, our, we want uh, fertility and we want uh, our harvests and we want all these things so we're going to worship these gods that will give us what we want we're going to take a shortcut Israel also later when they became more established they began worshiping or the Bible equates it to this other nations to gain the political power they wanted they would, they would come alongside Egypt and start worshiping their gods and being friends, you know, like Egypt because they were power, powerful and could give them protection. We'll, we'll worship you with you. Or Assyria, we'll come and worship with you. And God's like, I told you not to, like, I'll provide for you. I'm, I'll be, I have the, like, the only power that's worth calling power. Don't you trust me? And, and Israel failed over and over. And Jesus has given this test. And he says, worship the Lord your God only and so the first or the second truth that helps you that helps you get through the temptation of power is to decide to worship and serve God only I know it might sound simple but worshiping God what does that mean it means focusing on him focusing your mind and your heart and, and in, in uh, Micah 6 8 it's, it teaches us this he has he has told you what is good and what what the Lord requires of you so what does God require of us to act justly, to love faithfulness and mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. It occurs to me that justice and mercy and faithfulness 
are really hard to come by if you don't learn how to walk with God. Worship is really about the art of learning to walk with God. To have a life where you, like, you turn out, tune out the noise and you hear his voice. And a relationship isn't just hearing someone's voice and doing what they say. A relationship is enjoyment and it's sharing life and it's, it's, it's sharing the hurts and the harms and the, and the wins and the good and the bad. It's, it's, it's a life together. And we were designed to walk with God. It's not like some dead religious thing that we're supposed to do. And Israel, and I'm afraid in our world, the temptation is still there, friends. This isn't just located in the Bible, the temptation to power. It's all around us. The temptation to, to take shortcuts and, and worship uh, relationships so that we can, we, can, we can have what we want. Or worship our work and achievement so we can get what we want. And we can have the authority and power we want, even if we have to take shortcuts. There's, I'm, I'm afraid that, that people are so... Um, deceive that, that political power is, is the way to gain what you want that Christians are trading in their faith and the relationship with God for, for, for political power and political gain and there's more people afraid of what's going to happen because of these political decisions and political people let me tell you Jesus was in, a, in an age where he, his people were subjugated to the Romans Political things were happening that he did not want. Political things were happening that were not good. But he still walked by faith and showed a better way, showed the way of the kingdom. Friends, we can't buy into the deception that the, what the world says is power is real power. Jesus dying on the cross exchanged power for love to show the world what real power was. Amen? So we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to capitulate. We don't have to like sidle up and try to like get political power. Like Christians don't have to try to do that for Jesus because poor little Jesus needs power. I really want you guys to hear this. That that is a temptation that is as old as Adam and Eve. That's what Adam fell for in the garden. And we don't have to fall for that if we follow the way of Jesus. And even when we fall f- for it and we've made mistakes and we've cut corners or we've taken the shortcut and we're just like, what was I thinking? There's forgiveness and there's a new way. But we have to decide to live the lay- way of worshiping God alone. I'm not going to worship this. I'm not going to worship that. I'm worshiping him. In the journey track, we talk about how to live a life of worship. I want to encourage you to do that life of prayer, a life of learning the Bible. Like, how did Moses worship God? How did he walk with God? How did Joshua walk with God? How did Jesus walk with God? And, and it's really important. So we cover that in the journey class. The last thing I want to talk to you guys about is the test of protection. So buckle in for this last one. Here we go. So he took him to Jerusalem, Satan did, and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, do you guys see that again? He's attacking his identity. If you really are the beloved son of God, throw yourself down for, from here. Do, do something erratic. Do something that, that puts yourself in danger. For it's written that he, God, will give his angels orders concerning you. He will protect you that they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. They, God, if you're really the son of God, he'll protect you. He'll take care of you. No harm will ever befall you. You shouldn't have to go through anything hard, anything difficult. Throw yourself down. Pr- make God prove his love for you. And the reason I think that Luke puts this temptation last in the series of temptations, the three major temptations, the reason I think he puts it last as compared to the other gospel writers is because I think this is like a human 
temptation of the heart. Isn't it true, like at, the, at, at our very core, there's like a human need to know that someone really loves me, that I'm really loved for who I am. If you say you really love me, then prove it. And I think there's a human cry of the heart that says, God, if you really loved me, why did you let me go through that? God, if you really loved me, why did you let that person do that to me? If you really loved me, why did you allow that person to go through that? They were innocent. They didn't do anything wrong. Why would you let them? Why didn't you protect them? And, and Satan wants us to go down this track where we immediately, by doing something crazy, like if we're, if we're uh, all runners in, God, in the world, in the sense that we're, like, we're just like any foster kid, we're just like any orphan, we are, we, and we've learned to run from God. If we're like that, we've learned this pattern like, well, let's do something that sh- makes God have to prove that he loves us. Let's do so, I mean, there are people that, that do self-harm. There's people that, that, that blow up relationships. There's people that just do erratic things so that God somehow or other people have to prove that they're really loved. Are you with me? I think this is one of the the hardest temptations. Satan wants us to get down that because when you're asking and you're testing God saying, do you really love me? We'll prove it. And we do something drastic. We're starting from a place of distrust. And let me ask you, what healthy relationship do you know that is based and starts in distrust? God wants us to trust him and to stand from a place of trust. God, I'm going to trust you. When I fall and if something happens, I'm going to trust that you're going to be there. I'm going to trust that you are the protector, that you're going to be the one who protects me. And the reality is, even when we go through hard things, God is there with us. And so Jesus says to Satan's temptation, he says, it is said, do not test the Lord your God. Do not test him, trust him. The truth number three is trust God, don't test him. Life is full of enough tests, isn't it? We don't have to conjure them up. We don't have to start from a place of distrust. Let's walk in trust. Let's walk in faith as if God is there with us walking through every hard thing, every up and every down of our lives. And when we learn to live the life of the beloved, where we are God's beloved sons and daughters, rather than the rest of the world that's living for popular, popularity, and when they're popular, everything's good, but when people don't like them, what happens? It's bad, and it's up, and it's down. People who are living emotionally, just by their emotions, and when they feel good, and everything's great, and when they feel bad, what happens? It's up and down. When people feel like, oh, I provided for myself, they're up. And then when provision's down, they're down. When, when uh, protection's up and I feel like everything's secure in my life, it's great. 401K is great. Everything's great. And then when security's down, they're down. All those things, it's up and it's down. The life of the beloved learns that, th- to tune out the noise and to walk with God. And we don't have to live in that roller coaster. And let me tell you, Jesus, when he died on the cross... You could easily ask, well, where was the provision of God? Where was the power of God? Where was the protection of God? And the reality is that God let his son fall all the way to the ground and, and, and it looked like a failure. And then what happened three days later? He raised him up. And so what looks like failure, what looks like lack of provision, what looks like powerlessness, what looks like a lack of protection often is the power of God at work. We just haven't seen it yet. 
We have to learn to live by trust, friends. We have to learn to live by faith. We have to learn not to give in to the temptation. I'm telling you, when you learn to let God fill the reservoir of your heart with his love, when you learn to stop running away from God and run to him, and you let him fill the reservoir up over and over again, your life will be filled with so much power, you won't even believe it. That's the kind of life that Jesus came to live and show us how to live. That's the reason he died for us. That's the reason he was raised to life for us. I had a good friend, I'll close with this. A good friend is a pastor named John Jenkins, really amazing pastor. He, he said, hey, pastor, Satan wants to attack you. He wants to stop the work that God is going to do through you by attacking your identity. And he says, and if you have any kids, Satan's going to attack your kids and he's going to attack their identity. He's going to be telling them lies like this. You don't matter. You're, you're supposed to be a, a pastor's kid, a perfect kid. I'm a, I'm a pastor's kid myself, so I understand the pressure. Like, you're supposed to be perfect, and if people really knew you, you're not good enough. He's like, Satan will tell him lies like this. Your dad loves his church more than he loves you. Lie after lie after lie. And he's like, and this, you know how you fight lies? You know how you fight those temptations? You know, and us pastors are like, well, how? He's like, you put the truth all over the walls. He said, with my kids, I learned that every birthday, every vacation, every moment of joy and, and, and a graduation and an achievement, and like I want them to know that I'm there with them and that, that, that to combat the lie that dad doesn't love them or the church is more important or that they're not good enough. I want to put pictures all over their walls and their rooms and in our house. And he's like, I don't care if it looks tacky. I don't care if it looks lame. Big old pictures that, that, that say the truth. Your dad loves you. You are my beloved. I will never leave you. You are not, you are not forsaken. I will protect you. I will be your provision. I will be your power when you are weak. And what I'm here to tell you today is many of you have been sitting there and you haven't received God love. The reservoir is low. It's on empty. And you need to hear this, that God, with, his, with his, his son, with his love, has provided a home for you. And that home's got walls and he's put pictures all over it. Pictures of the truth that say, I will be your provision when you don't feel like you have enough. And he puts the picture on the wall. I will be your power when you're powerless. And I will be your protection when you feel like there's no protection and you're not safe. And everything's falling around, around your life. And it's falling to the ground. God is putting pictures up. Are you looking to the walls of your life? Are you looking to the truth that would destroy the lies and the temptations of Satan? Amen? Would you take a step of faith if you haven't received love from God? Or if you need to come back to the well and you need to have God pour into your heart? Would you pray this prayer of faith with me? Um, and I don't care how far you've been from God, if you've been running from him, or if you've been around for a while and you're like, man, I need, man, the reservoir is low. I, just, I need to let God pour his love into me. You and I were created to be God's beloved sons and daughters. Would you pray this prayer with me? Heavenly Father, I'm sorry for running. I'm sorry for blocking you from pouring your love into my heart. I'm sorry for trying to prove that I'm worthy of your love. Sorry for trying to earn your love. I realize, Lord, I just need to receive it. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for my sin, for my running. 
Thank you that you died so that I could be free and so that I could be filled with your love. Would you fill me today? God, I commit my life into your hands. I receive your spirit. I receive your love. I am your child. Amen.